be. All right, now we're on. Let me come closer. There was no offering special, was there? Okay. Everyone doing all right this morning? Yeah? Andrew played, prayed for the, uh, the good weather, so it's finally nice to have a little bit of warmer weather. Can you turn it down just a little bit? Um, I want to talk this morning just about kind of a, a heavier topic, and, um, and I think we're going to talk about it over the next few weeks as well, so you may hear some of this next week. Um, along the lines, but I want to talk about spiritual warfare. It's something that I feel like the Lord laid on my heart almost a year ago, but I kind of just saved it in my folder on my computer. But um, the last four or five weeks, just kind of been praying and thinking more about spiritual warfare and just just things that, that I see and sense. And so what I've titled this this morning is Fighting the Real Enemy. And Again, like I said, we'll, we'll see where the Lord leads us over the next few weeks, but, but I just want to talk about the importance of spiritual warfare and why we need to engage in spiritual warfare and that we're aware of what God is doing um, in the world and, and what the enemy is doing in the world so that we can fight effectively um, along the way. And so at Easter, what I shared, and you remember that we, we had the different stations set up of, of basically stations of the cross. And we had this one that was set up up here of an empty tomb and had a sign on it that says, he's not here. And so that was kind of what we talked about is if he's not here in the tomb, then where is he? And the answer to that is he's in our hearts. And I said, as a result of Christ living in us, there's really three things, and it wasn't an exhaustive list, but there's three things that that allows us to do. One, it allows us to have relationship with Jesus Christ. It allows us to have relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. Second, it allows us to have relationship with others. And I talked about a sign that's, um, that's over uh, on the west side of town. It says, love thy, love thy neighbor, no exceptions. And that we are to love people, and it's hard to love others um, sometimes. It's hard to love those that, that are like us and think like us and, and you know, have similar experiences, but it's, it's harder to love those that, that are different from us. But yet, that is true, that we are to love people with no exception, but we can't do that in our own strength. It only is through the strengthening of the Holy Spirit, through God living in us, that allows that. And the third thing that, that I said that allows us to do, if God is living in us, is to fulfill our mission, which is to know God and to make Him known. And in that, a lot of what I talked about is dying to ourselves, taking up our cross, denying ourselves, being willing to lay down ourselves for the sake of the kingdom calling that's before us, God's mission that is there before us. Now, none of these things just happen. To come into relationship with Christ, to, to love others and be able to be in relationship with others as Christ wants us to be, to fulfill our mission doesn't just happen. It requires work on our part. Now, salvation, you know, is not works-based. I want to make that clear. It's by faith. It's what Christ has done, and we just simply believe. But we have to cultivate that relationship. We can't just say, hey, I, I received Jesus Christ and then go on in our life. We have to continually cultivate that in the Word, praying, doing all these things. The same in relationships. We have to be intentional to love other people. It's, like I said, it's easy to love certain people, but other people it's a little bit more difficult to love, so we have to be more intentional. And the same with really uh, fulfilling the mission that God has given us. It, it, it's, 
kingdom expansion, if you think about it. And kingdom expansion does not come without resistance. None of these things come without resistance. Jesus said um, in John 10.10, because there is an enemy that we need to be aware of, Jesus says, a thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Can we get that scripture up? So John 10.10. So what Jesus is doing is is there is a, a contrasting statement that he's making, really a metaphor that, that he's saying is the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But what Jesus does, he comes to give life. You see polar opposites, darkness and light, the, the, the death and the life. A thief comes to steal. But it's interesting, the thief is still called a thief even though he kills and he destroys. Because in the heart, the thief is coming to steal the sheep from the sheep pen and take it to his own pen, but then to eventually kill the sheep for food and and provision, thus the sheep is destroyed. And this is subtly that the enemy um, operates in in the world many times. Jesus does the opposite. He comes in the opposite way of the way the world operates. He gives life, he provides, he protects. But more than anything, and this is the point I want to make, and even as we move forward and we talk about God's way versus the world's way, is that Jesus operates contrary to the way that the world operates. But yet we live in the world, and many times we operate by ways of the world. But we must learn to operate more and more by the ways that Jesus wants us to operate. In the book of Ephesians, you know, as, as you begin and go through the, the book, Jesus is talking about some key components in the book. He's talking about unity. There's unity in the body and how to maintain unity. He talks about relationships. He talks about gifts, the building up of the body through the gifts. And then he concludes by talking about spiritual warfare, saying there is an enemy, a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, one that wants to break up unity, one that wants to break up relationships, one that wants to stop people from using their gifts to build up the church. He wants to destroy the church. So it's by no accident that he talks about all these things and he gives us this reminder at the end. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. He says this, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. This is how Paul is beginning to conclude his letter after he's talked about all these things. The mission of the people of the church, the people of the body, to go out and make God known. Be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you may stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Probably a familiar verse for a lot of us, but it's also a reminder of who we really fight against. You see, many times we want to fight the person, and yet we, we don't see there's a spiritual warfare going on. We don't see there's something underneath that's going on, and that's who we're fighting against. It's not the flesh we're fighting against, it's something in the spiritual realm, but yet we forget that. We talked, or I talked at, at Easter about this idea of being in relationship with God, that many times we have this iceberg, the picture of the iceberg. There's a little bit that comes out of the water, but there's a whole lot that's underneath the water that we're unwilling to deal with. And in many people's lives, the manifestation of their behavior is what is under the surface of that. 
It is not that they're selfish. It is not that they're prideful. It is not that they're this in order to confuse and frustrate you. It's the enemy is putting that inside of them and using that to advance against the kingdom of God. But we know, we sang about this morning, that victory is in Christ. You know, we live in a war zone, whether we realize it or not, a spiritual one. And we've, we've been very blessed in this country not to live in a war zone area. You know, there's places of the world in Syria and, and, and other places where you know, people are losing their homes, where you're living in fear. So we, sometimes when we say we live in a war zone, we don't just say that very casually and not, not to mean it, but we do live in a war zone. It is a spiritual war zone. And it's wherever we go, there's a spiritual warfare. And we must conduct ourselves accordingly to knowing that, that we live in a war zone. For those going into battle, there's always a mission and there's, there's a way to accomplish the mission. So if you don't know the mission or the way to accomplish the mission, then it doesn't matter how well prepared or how tactically sound you are. If you don't know the terrain and who you're fighting, then you're going to lose. And many times this is the way we act as Christians. We, we, we know a mission, we kind of know some tactics, but we don't always know the full scheme of the enemy and the way that he works around us. We think it's people that we're fighting against, against the enemy or against the devil himself or against the principalities of this world. You know, in war, for many centuries, armies would just line up and fire at each other. The volley, the, the line infantry fighting. You saw it in the Revolutionary War where, where the British and the Americans, they would just line up at each other and, and, you know, they had bad guns, they didn't shoot straight and, you know, you might get hit, you might not. You just might as well play the lottery um, in some ways. But in some of that too, the American side uh, decided to take more skirmish warfare tactics where maybe the, the British were walking down the road and they would just shoot a couple shots and run into the woods. And, and there was complaints about that, that they weren't fighting in the gentleman's way, in, in the proper way. But see, the Americans knew they were overmatched. The revolutionists, they knew they, they couldn't necessarily go face-to-face with this well-trained, experienced army that was ahead. And I say this because many times we fight the enemy in the way that the enemy fights against us. We, we stand like toe-to-toe with the enemy, and we're overpowered many times because we're fighting in our flesh, we're fighting in our own strength, we're fighting in our own way. And we think the way the world fights is the way that we're going to win. It's almost living under the Old Testament idea, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus said, no, I came to, to, to do it a different way. Even on the cross, he says, hey, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, he's looking into the spiritual realm and he's seeing something. See, too many times I see us that we're, we're fighting the world by the ways of the world. And maybe to say it just a little bit more direct, we fight flesh with flesh. And we're all guilty of doing this. We're all guilty in any relationship. Maybe the marriage relationship sometimes is the, is the most obvious one. But in so many relationships, the work relationship, the neighbor relationship, even the way we face things in culture and society that we, we don't like, we usually fight flesh against flesh. We can see it all around us. There's no denying it. We fight flesh with flesh. And we must learn to fight in a different way. In marriage relationship, it's easy to cross your arms. And, and even, even if you forgive to sit there and still complain in your heart, because that's what the world does. The world tells you to complain and, and to cut them down and, and, to, and to have it your way. In the work relationship, it's like, well, I've got to work with these knuckleheads and just deal with that all day. 
same in society. It's like, oh, the only way we're going to solve any problems is if we go out and we just fight flesh with flesh. I'm here to say that it's not going to work. History shows us. Experience shows us in any relationship that if we fight flesh with flesh, we're going to lose. Yeah, we may feel good because we unloaded something. We may feel good because we got it all out. But in the day, history says it's just going to repeat itself. Flesh does not win against flesh. Jesus waged a different war, and that's what I said in the beginning. When, when we looked at the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus comes to give life, and we look throughout Scripture, Jesus waged war in a different way. In ways that even his disciples, who were wanting this political king, didn't quite understand. We talked about why the crowds turned. It's because they wanted this political king that was going to sit on the throne, and when he said, no, I'm not going to do that, they turned on him. In the book of Joshua, we find the Israelites coming to the promised land, and they're conquering the land. But they're not moving without God. You know, before they even cross the Jordan River, they're praying, and God says, hey, I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant in the flood stage of the Jordan River and have the priests step into the water. And they trust God so much that they say, okay, we'll do that. And, the, and it splits, and they walk across on dry land. And they build this altar, and they worship God, and they get their next order. Go to the city I guess they went to Jericho first. Go to Jericho. And they get to Jericho, and they're, and they're trembling in some ways because they already got the report of the spies. They know it's a heavily fortified city. God says, walk around the city. You know the story. Seven days. And on the last day, do it seven times, and then blow your horns. Now, if they fought flesh with flesh, they would have built siege ramps. They would have brought in the cannons. I don't even know if they had cannons. They, they would have done it that way, and they would have been destroyed. But they fought it God's way and destroyed the whole city. And even as God, as, as one took some of the plunder, and, and they were like, oh, oh, we went into this battle to, to AI, and we got destroyed. They still just turned to the Lord and said, God, what, what happened here? And the Lord revealed what happened, and they dealt with it. And then they had victory at AI. And they, and, and they started getting confidence, like we do many times. We want to rely on the Lord to give us victory. And, and a lot of times when he begins to answer the prayer, we say, okay, God, I've got this. It's like a kid riding a bike. Once they get the bounce, Dad, I got it. Mom, I've got it. And then, bam, they crash. You're like, well, you did a good job, but you weren't quite ready. We still need that reliance. And the Gibeonites, they come to, to the Israelites, who were, who were neighbors in the land. The Gibeonites are also later known as the Amorites, who were great idol worshipers and rebellious people. The Amorites had great influence on, on Solomon and on other Israel kings, kings of Israel. They come and they say, hey, we've got to, we've got to do something here because we're going to get destroyed. And, and you know, craftiness, you've you got to give the Amorites or, or the Gibeonites, you know, uh, some applause here because they were very creative. So they, they took bread that was old, they, they put on old shoes and clothes and, and all these things. And, and they came and they said, hey, we've traveled from this distant land and we've heard that you're destroying people. We, but we want to be with you because, because we don't want to be destroyed. In Joshua chapter 9, verse 14, then the men of, of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not seek the Lord's counsel. Because, man, it looked good. This right here looked good. Doesn't it, doesn't it look good? Doesn't it feel good sometimes to tell someone off? Doesn't it feel good sometimes just to give them a piece of your mind? Doesn't it feel good sometimes just to slam a door in someone's face or, or maybe to, to pop that finger up in traffic or whatever it may be? Or just to grumble and complain in your heart. Again, to say, well, I forgive, but really, I forgive because that's the good Christian thing to do. And forgiveness is something you have to walk out. 
and then you start listening. You have that, that counseling session with yourself. Kristen, you ever do that? Have a counseling I, you know, Sometimes you have that counseling, oh, yeah, let me just start to list all the transgressions of that person, but no one will ever know because I've forgiven them. But it does build a wall up there in their heart, and it does begin to affect our actions with that person. Just like this, they took provisions, but they did not seek the Lord's counsel. Verse 15 says, so Joshua established peace with them and made a treaty to let them live, and the leaders of the community swore an oath to them. And again, this was a mistake because they had been seeking the Lord up to this time. But then all of a sudden they said, oh, we don't, we don't need that. We're just going to do it ourselves. And that's my point is many times we see things coming at us instead of turning to the Lord and, and asking the Lord, what's your heart? Lord, what is your plan? Lord, what is my response here? We just say, well, the Lord would do this, I'm sure. I'm sure because this makes sense in the, in the, in the five senses. This makes sense just because it's common sense. Here's the truth, though. Sometimes I wonder if we really believe in the power of prayer. Do we really believe that prayer changes things? It's good to say that because we're in church. We're religious people. Do we believe that prayer works? Are we willing to persevere in prayer even when God's not answering? Or he's saying to wait? Or he's saying no? And he's redirecting us to something else? It's in those times it's easy to take up our own flag and say, well, if the Lord's not going to do it, then I'm going to fix the problem. I'm going to do it my way because, anyway, the Lord's going to come around to his senses and he's going to know this is the right way to do it. And we get impatient. There's many, many examples throughout the Bible. Let me remind you of another one, 1 Samuel 13. As uh, Samuel sends Saul to Gilgal, tells him to wait. Saul's been anointed king. He tells him to wait seven days, and the Philistines are, are, are around them. The Philistines are, are the mighty army. They, they are the army of the world at this point. And, and they've suppressed and oppressed and, and all the other presses of, of Israel along the way, and, and they're starting to engage. They, Israel knows what Samuel's telling them to do, get ready to fight, but yet they're fearful. And, and some go across the river, some begin to hide in caves, some begin to run away. And Saul's looking around, and, and his army's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And, and Samuel is told, or tells Saul, wait seven days. Now, we don't know exactly how the timeline plays out here. But the sun rises on that day, and, and it may be 11.10 on, on that morning. And all of a sudden, Saul's like, well, there's more people leaving. Samuel's not here. He said he would come in seven days. It's been seven days. I'm going to do what I need to do. And we pick up the story here. In chapter 13, verse 10, because what Saul begins to do, he says, bring me the stuff, I'm going to do the burnt offering. And it says, just as he finished offering the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Still that day. So Saul went out to greet him, and Samuel asked, what have you done? And he knows what he's done. Saul answered, when I saw the troops were deserting me, and you didn't come within the appointed days, and the Philistines were gathering at Michmash, I thought the Philistines will now descend on me at Gilgal, and I haven't sought the Lord's favor. I love what it says here. So I forced myself. I forced myself to do what the Lord should have done or what Samuel should have done. It's, that's our mentality many times. Lord, you didn't move, or this other person didn't move as you told him to move, so I forced myself to offer the burnt offering. 
You see that tear right here? That's a tear I don't have for Saul, right? That we shouldn't have for Saul. But yet we live that way, right? We make that same mistake. And, and it's numerous times throughout the Bible that we do this. That, that, man, emotions are such a good thing. Whether, I think emotions a lot of time are talked about as not always being good. It's how we deal with our emotions. Man, the Lord gave us emotions. Jesus had emotions. Joy is a good emotion. Anger is a good emotion to have. Frustration. These are good emotions to have, but it's how we deal with them. And many times we deal with them in the wrong way. Verse 13, Samuel said to Saul, You've been foolish. You've not kept the command which the Lord your God gave you. And it was at this time that the Lord would have permanently established your reign over Israel. And we know that David was anointed king after this. Man, what a consequence. And I'm saying that we live with that same possible consequence, but maybe we do. Maybe the, what we do affects generations going ahead. And that's, it's not said that, hey, we all of a sudden you know, need to live in fear or, or God's not sovereign or God doesn't show grace or God doesn't you know, have the strength to redirect like, like you know, Jonah running away and God working and getting us to that place. We don't want you to hear that, hey, you messed up and there's no way to ever redeem that because we know we live with a God that redeems. But it is pretty clear you haven't kept this command and saw as a result of your disobedience, as a result of fighting flesh with flesh, doing something in the flesh, the kingdom's being taken away. Now, it wasn't just this one act. Saul had a harder issue that was going on. It says, but now your reign will not endure. The Lord has found a man loyal to him. And the Lord has anointed him as ruler over his people because you have not done what the Lord has commanded. Again, twice we see that. You've not kept the command in verse 13 and verse 14. You've not done what the Lord commanded. Many stories, as I already said, throughout the Bible where the flesh is fighting with the flesh. And we must learn and understand, not just acknowledge, not just say, yeah, I know these stories, but to understand that God asks us to fight the world and the ways of the world in a different way. It takes discipline to do this. And one of the ways that I really want to submit to this morning, the command that I see throughout the New Testament is the command to pray. The command to hold to prayer. And I believe we understand this to certain degrees, but also I don't know if we consistently do it. Again, like I was saying about emotions, I don't know if I finished that thought or not, but our emotions are not bad, but many times we let our emotions overwhelm us and, and, and we become emotional in those times. And, and we just, we take our own situation to our own hands that person needed to hear that That person needed yeah maybe they did we'll just wait for the lord to tell us to do that let's wait for the lord to tell me how i should respond as i go forward in this lord lord's not saying be passive and, and not fight not engage but how do we engage there's many times where paul went out i mean i think about in, in i think Acts 16 whereas they come into philippi and and they, Paul rebukes the, the slave girl, I believe, who's fortune-telling. He rebukes that spirit out of her, and, and then they lose their money, um, their money-making person or whatever, and they're thrown into jail as a result. Now, Paul's a Roman citizen. How would you fight in that situation? How would you engage? Hey, I'm a Roman citizen. You just beat me. Don't even touch me. Don't even do this. 
Now I'm going to peel into Caesar, and Caesar's going to come and kick your butt. No, Paul takes the beating because why? Because he knew something was going on. And I'm not saying go and take beatings necessarily, but he was so in tune with what God was doing in the Holy Spirit. I'm sure the Holy Spirit was speaking to him, hey, just go with this. And sometimes the Holy Spirit puts us in places that's going to be difficult, where we will take it maybe even physically or, or figuratively on the nose or on the cheek, and we turn and, and we get it on the other cheek. But they were in prison, and they were, they were worshiping, and the other prisoners were hearing this. And the jailer or the guard heard it, invited Paul out, gave his life to Christ. His whole family got saved. And they come back. And Paul's still singing and praising to the Lord. We don't know how God moves. It's contrary to the world. But I know in my own way, I probably would have been fighting flesh with flesh. But we must learn to pray. We must learn to go before the Lord and, and surrender ourselves. Scripture has been said here numerous times over the last few months. Second Chronicles. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins and heal their land. If my people, if we will humble ourselves, that means that we, we really surrender some of those rights to fight in the way the world fights. If we have those rights. And to pray. Matthew 5, says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Romans 12, 12, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, Colossians 4, 2. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, 18 says, Rejoice always, pray constantly, Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Our command that's been given to us is that we would pray. And I'm not saying that we don't pray, but we need to engage more and more with the Lord. It's not a five or ten minute prayer that we do before we go out the door in the morning. It's not a ten minute prayer before bed. It's not a five minute prayer. It's praying consistently before the Lord. It's offering situations before the Lord in each and every situation, each and every time. It's how am I going to respond? What, Lord, what am I doing? Being so in tune with God and the Holy Spirit that we know it's a simple prayer. Lord, what do I do? And it just comes like that. We must begin to do that. And we also must be aware that if we're fighting flesh with flesh, that we need to stop. We're all guilty of doing this. It's just human nature. But there's a spirit that lives inside of us that's even greater than that. As we fight, as we engage, we must learn to do it in the spirit, which I believe is, is one way it comes through prayer. Where are you fighting things in the flesh that you need to be fighting in the spirit? Simple, simple truths in so many ways. We may pray for years and years and, and not see transformation of our own self or even someone else's heart. And many times where the prayer starts is not praying for the other person or the other situation or whatever. It starts right here. Lord, change me. Lord, help me to control my emotions. Lord, help me to engage in a way that is godly, in a way that brings you honor and glory. Lord, if I don't even need to engage, then show me I don't even need to engage. 
but let every word, every action, every non-word, every non-action bring you praise and glory. It is the hardest thing to do, or one of the hardest things to do, because our human nature is so strong. But we live in a time where we need to understand that we don't engage the person necessarily. We engage in the spiritual realm. We don't do it in our own strength. We do it through the Lord living inside of us. What are you believing for? What is that battle that's there, that injustice, that thing that, that, is, that you think is so wrong in that, in that relationship with a coworker or, or in your marriage or with your child or, or with someone else or even, even in, in culture? How are you engaging it? We must engage in prayer. There's no other way. And I usually don't say this, but I believe this, that I believe if we engage in prayer, there is a guarantee that God is going to move in a way that blows our mind. Because the way that we will engage is, God, pray for me, Lord, change me. But Lord, I'm also praying a blessing over this other person. I'm, Lord, I'm praying that you show yourself to be true, that you grow them in, in, the, in, in their relationship with you. And when we do that, man, God begins, begins to do great things. The idea of laying down ourselves, denying ourselves. That's the hard concept here. Let's embrace this. I love to hear testimony after testimony, week after week. Of, man, I begin to pray, Lord, I, I begin to do this, and the Lord begin to move here, and the Lord begin to do that. I'm not saying it's not happening. But I'd love to see it more and more within this body. Because there's all these things that, that we're, we're hopeful for, but yet there is a, a sense of hopelessness because maybe, maybe we're, we're praying, but maybe we need to pray more. Maybe we need to pray more specifically. Maybe we're praying in a different way. Maybe we engage totally different. Maybe we need to lay down our own self and to say, God, have your way. Lord, I pray this morning over each and every one of us. Lord, help us, teach us not to fight flesh with flesh, not to engage the world in the way the world engages, but to go about it in a different way. Lord, help us just to come humbly, but yet confidently to you. Lord, let us know that prayer does work, that prayer does change, it does transform. Lord, help us not just to to be in agreement, not just help us to be religious about this, but to cast that mold, to cast that stuff off, and to truly come with a freshness, with a fire to you, crying out, calling out, Lord, change me, change us. Change my heart, oh Lord. Give me your heart of how you want me to engage with those around. And Lord, I pray, we pray for those around us. We pray for that coworker who sometimes we think has, has the devil inside of him or her, Lord. We know that may not be the case. There's something deeper, Lord. We just bless them. Lord, we pray the same over our neighbors, even those that we live in our house with, Lord. Lord, we just seem to be constantly at each other. Lord, do a work inside of, of me. And Lord, help us 
to know exactly how to walk in this world. Let us allow your light to shine brightly. Let us not to do things that will dim that light in any way. Help us to fight by the Spirit, with the Spirit, and through the Spirit. So we honor you this morning. Lord, I pray for all those who aren't here this morning, all those that are sick in some capacity, Lord. Touch their bodies and heal them. And Lord, I pray just for a strengthening by your vast strength inside of all of us as we leave here to go out into the world to live the way you want us to live. May we honor you with all we say and do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are dismissed.